0: Data Protection Breakfast Club again. We're back. We're back. We're doing Labyrinth, a movie with uh, David Bowie and some incredible (laughs) makeup. Uh, And we've got Elisa Hutnick on with us, the chair of privacy and infosec at Kelly Dry and Warren in Washington, D.C., which is one of the premier advertising, just generally advertising law firms, probably in the world, right? I mean, representing many, many, many major advertisers and, um, uh, industry groups and, and, and things like that. So super psyched to have her. This is your, one of your main outside counsel, right?
1: She She's my primary for sure. I work with her on, all my MarTech ad tech stuff, all my CCPA stuff. Um, she is a, uh, you know, you know, what is it? What's the right ba- third batter? She's the third batter in the lineup. I don't know. She's she's a she's a heavy hitter. I, I mean, she is smart, knows what she's doing. And the best thing about her, and we've become great friends. But aside from that, like, she doesn't waste anyone's time. She doesn't, you know, like everything is. She she gets it on on the first try. She knows what my issue is. She comes back with something thoughtful and helpful and actionable. Um, she's top of the line, man. like absolutely great.
0: great. It's like the opposite of the outside counsel that lobs a memo over the fence to you and goes man here you go figure to figure it out
1: <laughs> one of the hardest things and you and i have talked about this and we won't name firms but like you know when we got into some of our roles like you know you inherit law firms and you know this kind of thing and uh yeah man like one of the most frustrating things for me is like this law firm inertia right like oh yeah well we've used such and such you know swindler and shyster for 30 years so we're just going to keep on using them and paying fifteen thousand dollars for legal memos like this is not how the practice of law works anymore i don't want legal memos any type of like theoretical information i can just go find on my own using the old google like i need you to tell me what to do like here's my specific problem here's my specific set of facts the way the risks for me and suggest an approach this is what i'm hiring you for and don't do it in 30 pages do it in a phone call or in a quick email i gotta go
0: this is we talk about this with elisa and this is one of the reasons that she's so interesting to talk to and and helpful as a counsel for you and i have my own version of that outside counsel and um and he he used to be in-house which is helpful so there's there's um she described when we talked to her about doing a secondment inside of a company very, very important stuff. So super yeah. excited to talk to her about Labyrinth, about the 80s, privacy. Yeah,
1: yeah I'm, I'm sad you're not wearing a cape like the guy right behind you there. That's. Uh... I'll wear that. we, we need capes, man.
0: I'll wear that. And I'm going to do my hair uh, like Bowie next month. <laughs>
1: David Bowie. <laughs> Please do it, man. You need, and you definitely, I feel like, is that purple? I, I'm, my, I can't tell, but if it's a purple cape, man.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'll get you another picture.
1: Yeah, All right, anyway, we well, let's do it, man. All right, here we are. Uh,
0: Data Protection Breakfast Club. The episode is Labyrinth. We're here with Alisa Hutnick, the chair of the Privacy and InfoSec group at Kelly, Dry, and Warren. Um, ha- thanks for being here with us. We're excited to talk to you and, um, and Pedro, you usually have like a good 80s intro question teed up before we get into the, the privacy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> what do you think?
1: I mean, look. I'm look at the haircuts behind you. And the the question I have is, Lisa, what was your best '80s haircut? Like, what was the vibe?
2: Oh, I had the flip bangs. I had like you know, the 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 rainbow flip, and then the banana clip definitely was a card. Oh, nice. I even had. Do you remember the cone? Like the cone where the hair came out? I had it all. I I was such an '80s kid. Oh my goodness. Oh
1: my god. god. Uh, Andy uh did you have like a big head of hair in the 80s like I don't know thank you about. for
0: thank you for referencing the loss of hair <laughs> Well
1: I, me I'm so behind you man
0: Listen we've made it 8 8 or 9 episodes or whatever this is without you calling me bald so I appreciate it man. <laughs> uh, uh I mean I I think I mentioned over email to you I like begged my parents if I could grow a rat tail and they were like <laughs> they were like yeah absolutely not and and <laughs> So happy am I that they did not allow that to happen. So happy. I can't. I cannot. You know, I was really into um, jams, where like flower jams. Oh, yeah. I was into. Um, I played played a lot of tennis, so I had a lot of the Andre Agassi uh, guards. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was me. But I couldn't grow. You know, it. the
1: first pair of super. You know, i sneakerhead. You mentioned Andre Agassi. The first pair of super cool sneakers I had was a pair of green, like tennis green and tennis yellow Andre Agassi Reebok pumps. I had them. And these, you had them? These things were amazing. All
2: right, so I can, my Reebok pump story, um, I got, I was on a game show right at 13 and they gave us Reebok pumps, which was really great. But what you got after that was slime poured all over you. So my Reebok pumps—they were bright white—and by the end of it, they were red. They were yellow. They were, oh yeah.
0: Hang on, you were That's on.
2: No, I was on their competitor.
1: <laughs> is there a video?
2: No. Oh my god, I think, I'm so happy this is pre-digital. Like it, it cannot be found. I have a VHS somewhere, and it it, it shall not be found.
0: <laughs> what is the double dare competitor? What's it my called? House. Fun House, boy they really hey, tried i to don't do I need
1: no no, no 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 there's a vhs which means somebody else has a copy of this thing i'm this gonna bring this thing up i need this in my life <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> it's so
2: painful talk about like going back in time and oh my gosh it was so bad it was so bad i can't believe i did it during the height of my awkward phase no less
0: did you feel so have has there ever been a time in privacy and you felt like you got slime dumped on you uh,
2: every week. What? <laughs> every what? <laughs> Privacy is just—it's you're in the gray, and so you are constantly, you know, using good judgment to the best you can. But there's slime poured all over.
1: Yeah, we live in the slime, man. It's mm-hmm. bad. You know, Elisa is my battle buddy on um, on CCPA strategy and compliance in my current role, and so we deal with that a lot. And I feel like that's constant slide. <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, there's it's constant vague, mushy mess, uh, just trying to navigate that for a large company. Um, but it's hard.
2: I, one of the things that I thought helped us there, and I really, Pedro, it's a testament to you, is seeing, seeing ahead where you want to land. Because so much of the vagaries, and I would say this with privacy law, or consumer protection law, just generally, it's, you know where the right answer is. It's often not written in black letter, but you know where the trend line is going. And so how do you have, you gotta have the confidence to say this is where it will net out and make the case for competitively. So like, how can we make that happen when we can make that happen?
0: This is what I think separates the really good privacy outside counsel from the ones that are just kind of pretty good. And what I mean by that is the outside counsel that are really good at product, and right, right now there's, in the last five, 10 years, there's an, this new concept in, in companies, sort of bigger companies mostly of the product council. We talked with Stephanie King at Twitter about that because she runs that group. Like that wasn't really a thing 10 years ago. Now there's lawyers that are focused on product. And sometimes you need to have that outside counsel who's talking to a bunch of companies to actually help you develop product. I mean, I was on a call today with our like team talking about data strategy. And to have an outside counsel view, to help you actually build a product. We're an early stage company. We're, we're not even raised a B round. So like we are developing privacy by design in the product as we go. That's really what separates it for me from, from an outside counsel privacy perspective. Like can, can we go in and start like really talking about what should the thing do? And to your point, Alisa, like what, what is the end state we want to achieve for the consumer or the B2B customer? What do they want? And how do we get there without running about of a of a whole bunch of vagaries?
2: Right. Cause bolting on at the end, it, it's always messy. It, it just doesn't work. It's a, you know, it doesn't work, but often that's, you know, it depends on how empowered the legal team is to come up with that strategy as opposed to try to do cleanup.
1: Yeah. When you work with clients, Alisa, like, what are the common themes that you see? And when I say clients, I mean, like, privacy and housers. What are the common themes that you see that you think are good, meaning like that a lot of places are doing well, or at least that you see at different places operating well? And then what's something you see a lot that you wish didn't happen?
2: What works well is when the legal team is empowered, and that does not mean legal, you know, is the no, is the naysayer. That never happens. Like that's, it, it just doesn't work. But when legal is empowered to be that strategist and to have and and the business trusts them to have those real conversations, so that you're not just getting the red flag later, but to be able to brainstorm and and having in-house clients who are who enjoy that. Because when you enjoy, I mean, most of us became lawyers in the areas we are because I'm not an engineer, but I love the tech. I love hearing about that. And so having that curiosity, having that passion, it's just a fun ride. And the client, feel the business client, I would absolutely say feels that, right? They feel you're invested in the success there as opposed to it's just a job. I think that's a big, big part of it. When
0: did, when did you both, I'll ask you both this, like, when did you both come to that realization in your careers that- you could be a lawyer and contribute that way because I have a very specific memory of when that happened to me. Cause if you know, you start off, you just like, you get out of law school, you don't know anything. And like you start like thinking you need to know the answer to everything. And, and when you slowly realize, or, or maybe rapidly, like you, sh- you will never know the answer to everything. And, and then you, then you, 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 you sometimes like, get into a situation where you you actually have an impact on something, a tangible thing, something that's being created. How, how did that happen for you all? Go for it.
2: Um, I, when I was a teenager, I interned at a cousins who had a tech startup in LA and I was just, I was doing it for free, but I was working next to all these developers and it was fun to be part of the brainstorming. And I loved that. Um, did work on that a little bit, volunteer through college. But I mean, I was a product of the 80s when the internet was just coming out. I was a summer associate when we had the big internet bubble burst. Um, soon after, internet bubble, and then it burst soon after that year. But that was what I was working on. And so, just the idea of being an internet lawyer, whatever that meant back then, was I wanted to do that. <laughs> and and the ride just kind of took care of itself. But it was really working with that creation growth build stuff was so much fun.
1: Yeah, I that like you learned early. Cause it took a lot longer for me. Like when I got to the firm, I was seconded to a client, a company called Prolexic which was uh, acquired by Akamai which is a great company. Um, and my experience with them was very positive. Um, but when I was at Prolexic, um, you know, I get there, I'm coming from a big firm. I, I you know, I'm used to sending like theoretical email memo type things. And before the firm, I was at DOJ, which is even more policy and kind of not, you know, gibberish. And I get to Prolexic and I kind of get exposed. First of all, I'm there. They don't have any other lawyers and I'm they're sitting at a table in a small room with the CFO of this company, um, some paralegals they had and like their head of sales. And I get there and there is just no time or room for like, legal theory at that time. You know, it's like here's our list of clients, here's our target for the month, here's what we need to do is a more commercial legal kind of capacity that I was there. But um I really learned that like uh you know I, I don't need to teach these people privacy or data security or commercial contract. Well I just need to enable their goal, which is they want to sell all this stuff and they want to sell it in 30 days. Um uh, and making that happen. So to your point earlier about like the or the legal department is the no department i've always thought that's a fantasy I've, I've worked in multiple in-house legal departments and nobody is successful in any of those departments by leading with no's you know like that's just not a thing um so that was a defining time and being at a really small startup uh, like plexic was uh you know really taught me that like you got to be practical there's no time for this theoretical stuff and then when i got to oracle i worked for a guy uh, I got hired at Oracle by, uh, by Bert Kaminsky. Shout out to Bert Kaminsky. He's at Google. Andy, we got to get Bert on. Um, cause he's, he's awesome. He's very different than I am, but he gave me my, my big company shot and I went to go work for Bert. And I remember like my first couple weeks there, I I got my hands on, it was blue Chi. I got my hands on the blue Kai acquisition and I sent an email about something related to blue Kai to a bunch of folks, uh, Omar Tawakal, who was the former CEO of Blue Cloud, a bunch of senior people at Oracle. Bert was copied. And my email was very legally structured, you know, like facts, issue, rules, analysis, conclusion type of situation. And I sent this thing out. And I remember I was in a hotel room in New York City when I sent this email. And it wasn't even 15 minutes later that Bert calls me. And he's like, Pedro. And that's how Bert, talked. you know, he's, he's, he's like, Pedro, let's talk about that email. And he basically is like, there isn't a single person in the entire corporation who's gonna read that long ass email. I'm sure it's great. Um, you need to narrow that down to like a couple action items and, and, and do it in English because nobody knows what, you know, you know just jurisprudential history means or cares. And so he really taught me to be very direct I mean, I'm a direct person by nature, but like do so at work, you know, be very direct to the point and be gone that's a great um, when support. it comes to transaction. How great yeah. Yeah, a mentor, like that is
2: the ultimate hard. advice, right? If here's what doesn't work, here's what works. Let me tell it to you directly and mm-hmm. plug and play. But the other Man. balloon that kind of that floated up when you were talking was just the conments. I mean, those, those don't happen enough. I did one of those when I was a baby associate for a year. And when you're in the fire and you can't do those memos, you need to give actionable advice quick and you need to confidently uh, put it
1: forward. When's the last time? I know you do this stuff, Lisa, um, but like Andy, when's the last time you wrote a legal memo? Wrote one. Mm. <laughs> I don't
0: I mean, actually wrote one one myself. I mean, it's been a while, but I I think the truth is that we document things in different ways now anyway. I mean, you're asking me when was the last time I documented something every second of my life probably, (laughs) but but because, because, you know, right now um, we're in the process of doing, as I mentioned, some of the data strategy work and you have to document a lot of that stuff. You have to make sure your decisions are thought out and produced in writing. And I like to get <clears throat> impact review from other members of the team and outside counsel sometimes. And so like you do ultimately have to review that stuff. I, your stories were so great. It reminded me of how, I, it, interestingly, with your story about Burt in particular, how I had a really terrible mentor in the law firm that taught me a lot of the, the ways I didn't want to work. And then I had some experiences when I went in-house that taught me the actual way that I think it should be, you know, like, like your example of the email was very funny to me because... He used to call me in to watch him dictate super long emails. Need to have his his secretary typing while he's standing there dictating, you know, an email. And at the time, it was like a complicated medical health joint venture. And he's like, re- like re- writing this super long email. And I remember thinking to myself, as a baby, Elisa, thinking to myself like. Who is going to read this?
1: <laughs> like, exactly.
0: no client wants to receive this. And I remember thinking, like, am I wrong? Like, am I wrong? Like, I know I don't know that much. <laughs> like, am I wrong? And I think, lo and behold, turns out, like, maybe they read it, but I'm sure they didn't like it. You know, I'm sure it wasn't the the, the best way to communicate with the, with their clients. So, uh, it, these are all really great stories because they really just illuminate like how important it is to. Dive in and be practical as an attorney. Whether you're in house, outside, doesn't really matter.
2: No, you're. So what?
1: I (laughs) I I I have a substance. Well, I don't know if it's substantive, but like big picture question about uh, our work. Like five years ago, data breach was the hottest topic. All we talked about were data breaches, and uh, you know it was. We would wake up and check the paper to see who's got the hot data breach this week or whatever. What happened to that noise? Like what, what, what happened to all of that? And, and, and like now all we think about is like, what's the new CCPA reg and what are they doing in Washington state and LGPD? What happened to data breaches? Do they not matter anymore? Like what's the, what happened? They're competing
2: headlines. Uh, they're still happening. I mean, they're happening almost more, I think more than ever now. Uh, and I will tell you the FTC continues to investigate them. It's just that now you have the privacy headlines, you have political headlines. They're definitely still happening. And it still shocks me, I have to say, when you have ones that happen based on kind of the low hanging fruit issues. Like, you can't, you can't do 100% but we now have some best practices that you can at least leverage without, without too much.
0: I think it's Trump, like you're, we're desensitized from for, you know there's no one's fainting you know when, when <laughs> it's happened anymore like this clearview ai breach has like you know in, in some other world that would be the biggest news ever but like it pretty much passed through the news cycle like that's a huge data breach right um and 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 all these others yahoo adult friend finder like all these major things uh they're getting i don't know one day one day one day of coverage maybe
2: do you think some of that is over notification though? Because we had online credentials and that's like such a huge type of, a probably one of the most common breaches now, right? And you have to notify and there's push to notify on those by a number of states. And so now we just get these notices, like how do you know when you're dealing with a, a mega breach or something where your, your, your personal information absolutely is at risk right underneath that versus something else?
0: The average consumer must have no idea, right? How can they? How can they differentiate? They they can't. I mean, They're like, scant. I think maybe just they have to. Maybe this is it that like Experian, right, or, or or something like that. When you're, was it them? Like, I forget whether I don't want to call them out if it wasn't.
2: There's multiple
1: them. right. There was the the, Equifax that was
0: the Equifax. big. Equifax. 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 Experian. Yeah. Equifax. Like. <laughs> But when a credit bureau, really how you're like,
1: hey, I just want to throw the right people under
0: the bus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout, shout out to Experian. Love you. Keep doing it. Uh, but Equifax, but like, you know, that's like lots of people, you know, that yeah. like, and, and that's like someone's very aware that, okay, maybe I need to do, what do I do? That I need to do something here. But like a lot of these others, no idea. So, I mean, yeah,
1: I, I was in the, I was a, I received the notification. I've been in a bunch of data breaches and I'm sure you guys have too. Uh, at this point, everyone has to your point about desensitizing um, ourselves to all of this, but I remember being really scared when I got the OPM notice when I, cause I was part of that OPM data breach. I was, I think at the time I was working at the department of energy or somewhere and, you know, got the OPM notice, your information was compromised, you know, got the 12 months of whatever it was, you know, identity lock or whatever one of those things uh, and that was that like i've never thought about this again but the reality is 10 12 years ago like my social security number was floating around wherever it is and all sorts of information about my federal career right and it's still floating it's not like you like the data it doesn't the data you know what i mean like the loss is permanent it's out there
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, bank, so banks, bank fraud detection, they do a pretty good job, generally speaking, which helps consumers. Um, One one company I was at, we had like a phishing thing where internal data was, was, you know, lost. And I had someone file my taxes for me fraudulently. And many of us did. And so while I, if I set that aside, that that thing happened, that was frustrating and that happened, um, it was actually if i'm speaking now as the internal lawyer it was a very small set of records we were aware of the exact amount of records that were compromised and to be honest it was actually pretty good practice for how to handle how to handle an incident and we handled it and we handled it really well and we were able to you know um to speak with our employees about what happened and and not uh, and deal with it, I and mean, people were not happy you know there, there, there were there were people that were frustrated and and we were frustrated, and we did some things to mitigate it. but I think going through those things probably help us handle those events and i 'm sure Lisa, in your practice, like the more you 've done, the more you know how to how to counsel people, especially on those like the trickier issues of those breaches are the 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 notification and then the internal stuff. How are you going to talk to people? Uh, in the company about what they should say or what they should do and and stuff.
2: There's that, and it's really, how do you prevent it from happening again? Because it's often not the easy breaches, right? The one file, it was something more systematic, legacy systems. And so how do you you really learn from that and as a program adjust in a meaningful way and get everybody's buy-in? Because it, it isn't an endless budget, but investment matters
1: yeah I have a crazy question out of nowhere and I'm disregarding the agenda it's not crazy but Lisa you and I talk about this and I want to get your perspective on it if if you're willing to share it um you know diversity and inclusion is an area that I'm super uh interested in and passionate about I know you are too privacy as a profession is relatively new and uh you know, I think, I mean, look, I'm just a guy, but it would seem to me that because of its newness and emergence in the last 15, 20 years, that women would be more empowered within the profession because they're already here and some of the, you know, kind of founding parents of our profession are women. I mean, um, uh, Harriet Pearson comes to mind, you know, these types of people that have been doing this for 5,000 years. Uh, like, do you think we're doing a good job uh, in our, like, space, our privacy space to, like, make sure that we're empowering women and people of color? And, and, and what can we do better?
2: I think it is one of the more diverse areas, in part because it's a new, newer area of law. And I know when I was an associate, nobody was doing it. So it yeah. was, it was not like there was some gray-haired at that point that had more on me to, to learn that. Uh, but as an up-and-comer, it, it's a, it's an obligation, it's a responsibility, right? You you got the opportunity because somebody before you gave you the opportunity. So how do you then pull other people up, pull other people with you? And so you can do as a as a law firm. I can do what's in my control, and I've got a diverse team, and they're awesome, and look to expand uh partner with in-house counsel who care a lot about it but really it's clients right it's market driven so when clients and i see more and more of that now when clients demand and track it among their outside counsel that makes an impact absolutely
1: what do you think andy like like just you know from your general counsel perch way up there in the intergalactic levels of power like are we doing a good
0: job like, at a hundred person company yeah I'm, I'm
1: yeah. <laughs> I've never flown that high, man, so I don't know <laughs> uh,
0: I mean one of the reasons I chose Alice is because that's an active topic um, There's a huge group working towards that. The CEO is very dedicated to it um, I got off the phone there was a group a couple of weeks ago that had a one-hour call on a specific D&I related topic. And I had my one-on-one with the CEO right after that. And I just said, like, it's just it's just great that you put an hour into that. Like, not everyone puts an hour into that, uh, especially someone um, who's, who's got a lot of different competing priorities. And so, I mean, if, if you're specifically, it's something that you want to see at a company. We just went through the process of, Uh, hiring a new outside corporate counsel, corporate firm to do our like fund funding work and stuff. And um, in the process of doing that, one of the firms we were talking to said, listen, in in prepping you for diligence for a future fundraise, just know that those questions are relevant and being asked a lot. Like, what's your approach? How are you approaching it? And so you need to have, you need to be thought of to be thoughtful on the topic and so and and, and they say like you're a lot, like it sounds like you are doing that, but i i I only want to tell you that that will come up in front and center, and those are just those are nice signals, those are nice signals to be seeing that like frankly uh, uh the, the vC world would pay attention to that whatsoever is is just shows me that we're we're nowhere near there, but we're trending in in a positive manner, which is good. Um, I don't see one way or the other much in terms of privacy. Like um, it feels to me, like Elisa said, um, uh, it's, it's up to those, to, you know, who are in it to bolster and put up people that, um, that are, that represent a diverse mix and, and are, because that diversity will create uh, better outcomes. It'll create way better outcomes, way better products, especially as we, we go global and companies like yours already are super global. My company is going to be, you know, moving into different territories. And so if you don't have people that understand different, different diverse jurisdictions and different countries, different backgrounds, how will you, how will you make privacy by design work at all? You won't.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you my anecdotal kind of experience in all this 10 years ago, you know, I would look on LinkedIn or I would go to conferences or engage with clients. And it was basically me and a bunch of Bobs, right? Like me and the Bobs everywhere. Like you go on LinkedIn, every privacy follow was Bob, every client was Bob, you know, the partners at firms a lot. There were some women to my point earlier, but, um, mostly white women. Um, but there was very little diversity, I think in privacy 10 years ago, I think over the last two or three years, I, I used to be, one of my talking points at conferences was like, I'm the only Pedro in privacy I know. That is no longer true. Or, <laughs> i know several other Pedros in privacy. But more importantly, there's a lot more people of color. There's a lot of women. There's a lot uh, you know, uh, of international folks involved. I think it's blossoming into something really great, especially over the last few years. My LinkedIn has become very colorful and diverse, right. and that makes me very happy. That's great.
2: Yeah. I love it. And it's because you have more decision makers now, right? When we started out, it was a much smaller pool of decision makers and they weren't diverse (laughs) for the most part. Right. And so now 10 years, 15 years later, you see that difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you now that we, now that we have a little little bit of, I don't want to call us powerful people, but we have some influence. Like I won't do a panel unless, there's a woman on it. I just won't do it. You know, I guess there's always an exception or some extenuating circumstance, but if we're just talking about a general privacy topic, there's a woman out there who knows more about it than me. So let's get her on the panel. Like, you know, let's, let's make that a point. And um, so I won't do that. Like I, you know, when I came to Salesforce, it was a big part of the discussion. I think Salesforce is a cutting-edge company when it comes to diversity, inclusive, and equality, uh, but, I, you know, there's always room for improvement. Anyway, I'm always curious about this. I know you guys are thoughtful about it, and I wanted to hear your thoughts. We can still do better, but I think we're on a decent path.
0: Um, I think, uh, like, we got to wrap up soon, but um, when we had Jules Polonetsky on, um, page, it, like, he referred to ad tech in general as feeling like the movie Groundhog Day, Pedro is repeatedly called ad tech the Kanye West of privacy and we're talking about labyrinth here and the, I think it's a really it's another really good analogy for ad tech um <laughs> that, what, do you, what do you guys think about that like what is ad tech really and is it is is it ad tech or is it advertising or marketing or is it simply just f- first party data and third party
1: data I'll, I'll go first because I want at to have the last word but when you ask that question in the context of the movie i go back to your wallpaper and you know what it makes me think of the uh the ad tech luma like it's literally a bunch of creepy characters you know and some of them are hiding behind masks you know um and so you know i i I don't know man i think the ecosystem has had its challenges and still does um but i'm optimistic i feel like companies are starting to get it some of the big players are are, are really seem to be turning the corner and uh some of the smaller ad tech and martech players are innovating by integrating privacy into their you know design and into you know kind of part of their market differentiation and and the things that make them valuable so i think things, hopefully some of these masks can come off over the next couple of years and the lumiscape will change anyway at least i leave it to you
2: yeah, it's kind of like the upside and the downside world. Um, part of that is just not knowing what if the rules aren't clear and you need to compete, then you're gonna use the space where it's not prescribed, right? You're just doing what others are doing to be competitive. The more clear here's here's the rules of operation. here's the space and innovate to your heart's delight, then you people make different choices. So I think, I am an optimist. I know a lot of MarTech AdTech, tech who are really smart, wonderful, purpose-driven, um, creative. And I think those are the ones who are gonna be in here for the long haul. And there's some short-term players who are not gonna make it, like any business.
0: It does feel like a maze though, in some in some respect. I mean, all that's true. It does feel like with the CCPA as this added layer CPRA, is this added game changer, um, and then we'll have some federal law at some point. Which will not be another interesting game changer. It feels like even if we have, we may we're trending in a in a interesting direction. Uh, it would be interesting to see what happens like when we get new laws layered in.
2: Embrace change. I mean, that's the thing. There's be comfortable with being uncomfortable <laughs> and. And having a good sense of here are the varieties of ways things can unfold and plan.
0: Just describes startup life perfectly. <laughs> Is that
1: Alisa? One one last question: Is that team of rivals behind you over your shoulder there? The book with Abraham Lincoln's face on it. Yes, that's one of my favorite. I have it there too. It's back okay. here too. It's One of my favorite books ever, okay. and a lot of like. Uh, I think some of the privacy application there is how to talk to DPAs. <laughs> you can learn a lot about how to like, lead groups of people with diversity of thought by reading team of rivals. Anyway, shout out to Abraham Lincoln for being <laughs> the first ad tech lawyer. <laughs>
0: we'll end on a shout out to Lincoln.
1: There you go. <laughs> oh, what a
0: guy. <laughs> All right, Elisa, thanks for being with us. This was awesome. That was Thank so you. much
2: fun. Thank you.
0: All right, we'll do That's our intro now. Bye-bye. Bye.